from the festive studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVR in Bethlehem, PA. It's time for another question answering and gift suggesting episode of Chemical Free Horticultural Hygiene's You Bet Your Garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. I promise to make gift suggestions this week, but our email overfloweth with unanswered questions. And so on today's show, we'll answer a potpourri of seasonally appropriate questions and slip several gift suggestions in at the same time. Otherwise, it's a fabulous phone call show, Cats and Kittens. Yes, we will take that heap and help it of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and absurdly adamant admonitions. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, true believers, because it's all coming up faster than you buying a bin for your BFF right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Lehigh Valley Health Network. In life, we have many kinds of partners, school bus partners, business partners, even gardening partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life, your health? Lehigh Valley Health Network, your health deserves a partner. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in the Christmassy city of Bethlehem, PA. I'm your ho-ho-ho host, Mike McGrath, that's H-O-E, welcoming you to a show where we're going to do a unique question of the week. I think it's actually four questions. There's gift suggestions in there as well. But first, drum roll, please. We have relaunched our book club, which means that if you send us a postcard at You Bet Your Garden at PBS 39 in Bethlehem, PA 18015, I don't know there's a code here, um, you will be put in the running for a book from my library because I got to clean out that office. Take a look at this postcard because it's also a holiday greeting. And it is, thank you, Godzilla. Godzilla is the new um, Vanna White. It's from Carol Stober. Carol is in Glen Gardner, New Jersey. She wishes me a happy new year. And especially for my spreading literary cheer this season, no one ever has too many books. Well, that's not true because otherwise I wouldn't be doing this. So Carol is getting a book on shade gardening called Foliage First, and um, everybody I know can use a book on shade gardening. Godzilla, it is time to show our second postcard. Would you hold this for me, pal? Thank you. This is from Mary Crum in Holland, PA, who drew a stick figure and uh, calls herself Mary the Happy Gardener. Well, Mary, we hope you will be happy because you're getting a real classic here. Consider the Leaf, one of the best known and most respected books about really bringing color into a shady area by choosing plants that have very colorful foliage. Congratulations to you too. Please send us a postcard. We're gonna keep accepting postcards for a while now. I, I got a lot of books to get rid of, kids. So send it to You Bet Your Garden, care of PBS 39, and if you want to add our phony address, it's 839 Sesame Street, Bethlehem, PA, 18015. And now, on with the show. 
833-727-9588. Ed, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hey, Mike. How are you doing? I'm just ducky today, Ed. Thank you so much for asking. How are you, sir? I am good. I'm calling from Charleston, South Carolina. And are you calling to taunt us about the difference in climates, you escapee from the frozen north, you horticultural <laughs> coward, you? Well, it, it was about 75 degrees yesterday, which is definitely the opposite of uh, the beginning of December. So that's kind of why I'm calling, actually. So we're actually just experiencing our fall. So the yard work has begun, and the question that I was calling about is that I have a American gumball tree in my backyard. All right, so I think, do you perhaps have a sweet gum tree? Yes, but you don't do, have to do much to get them to be all over the yard. Yes. So it's on like the right side of our backyard, so about half of the yard is covered in the gumballs, mm -hmm. which doesn't help when I'm trying to compost and shred my leaves right? because I have the uh, reversible um, blower, like you talked about previously oh yeah um but that's just not any competition for these gumballs no so that's like that's wondering. like that's like sucking yeah, up yeah. live hand grenades you, you you set me back because when i was a child i grew up in a row home i mean there were 40 homes on each side of the street but just around the corner in the older neighborhood these were brand new row homes um there were a lot of spacious almost mansion-like um, single homes, and one of them had this amazing sweet gum tree in the front yard. I remember a friend of mine named Marguerite lived there, and in the fall, we would gather at Marguerite's house and play war. We called them itchy balls, and we would load our pockets with them. I think somebody's father had like a change uh, apron and he had a tactical advantage. He could load up like 50 or 60 <laughs> of these things. And we would just throw them at each other all day long. And if the parents had had a thought, they would have put out a trash can and say, hey, when you're done, put your toys away. Yeah. <laughs> Make a game of it. Yeah. Do you have a vegetable garden? I do. It's on the other side of the yard, though. Right. And do you have any problems with shade where you are or anything like that? Um, no, not really. When I was the editor of Organic Gardening magazine, um, a reader wrote in with a tip for a section we had called Garden to Garden. And she said that she had looked at these things as like her annual crisis until she had an invasion of slugs. And then she had the incentive to rake them up and she literally lined the inside of the frames of her raised beds with these depth charges and it was lethal to slugs. She would come out and see the dead soldiers impaled on the spikes. So that's one suggestion. One of the answers is what's called an outdoor vacuum. It's almost like that flexible piping that you use for plumbing, the you know black like four inch wide piping and it sucks up leaves, it sucks up stuff like this, and it does a great job. You probably don't want to spend the money. I don't think they're all that expensive, uh, but if you're going to be living with this tree for the next 40, 50 years, think about amortization, you know? Yeah. It, it'll probably yeah. wind up costing you $5 a year. Right. Um, <laughs> the other answer, and you don't see these much anymore, 
Um, but uh, if you want to rent the movie Fargo, or if you remember it, there's big machines called chipper shredders. Yeah. yeah, and you could either put these down the chipper hole or you could put them through the shredder, and then uh, you could compost these things. That would bash, mm -hmm. the, bash the heck out of them. I also, I was thinking of like a shop vac, but I'm afraid the hose might not be wide enough. But, um, okay. you know, that's, that's the answer. You can also get, you know, test out different kind of rakes and just rake them into a big pile somewhere. You know, if the inner child in you ever comes back out again, that's like having a snow fort with like a thousand pre-made snowballs, you know? Right. Your old yeah. college friends come over, you can pelt each other, you know, <laughs> have a good time. But yeah, these things are treacherous underfoot and you really do, yeah. you do have to clean them up. They are hard enough um, that you can turn an ankle on one of them. Yeah, and they, they, they definitely don't go anywhere either. No, no they have, they are dense. They, they, they yeah. have a lot of matter uh, to them. You know, they're probably the only nut-like thing like that that squirrels don't bother because squirrels know it's inconvenient to us. So the squirrel's job is done. <laughs> Just leaving them around in that case adds to right. our annoyance. You know, you could put up a sign uh, you know, an Elmer Fudd type sign saying, squirrels, these are really black walnuts. They're just funny looking ones. And the squirrel, they'd be gone by the next day. Yeah, they, uh, they definitely are selective. Yeah. So that's some of the most useless advice you've ever heard, right? <laughs> There's really no way to stop a healthy tree from fruiting. Um, I believe there are nasty potions that uh, commercial growers can use to limit the number of fruit on a tree unnaturally. But you don't want to start messing with that stuff. Um, no. Generally, no. Those, those things are used on trees with short lives already. It shouldn't be that much trouble to, to rake them up. Again, if you get the right kind of rake, you need a hard rake. Again, or invest in one of these you know, outdoor vacuum cleaners. You know, once you have something like this, you, you find a million uses for it and you wonder why it took you so long. But mm -hmm. if all you do is rake them up into an out of the way pile, they will become compost over time, especially in your climate. And especially if you add some coffee grounds uh, to the mm -hmm. pile, they'll become good compost. Everything rots as those of right. us of a certain age are all too aware. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, you know, there's people put mulch down a lot down here, and that just, it just rots immediately and molds, and it just looks terrible, you know. Really? Pine it's... straw as an alternative. But oh, yeah. I yeah. Mean, the, in the, the humidity of the summer, it's, I mean, it's 99% for three or four months, so yeah. Now, that's disappointing. Because most of the time when I visited down south, the mulch of choice has been pine straw. And it's incredibly attractive, functional, and so well suited to your climate. Mm -hmm. um, I hate the idea of this crappy, trashy wood mulch making its way down south. Although I yeah. will tell our local listeners that pine straw is now becoming available in the northeast. So... You know, I would, I would hate to see, I'd love to see it coming up here, 
but I would hate to see it being used less down there because, as you know, there's nothing better than pine straw in your climate. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely an adjustment when we moved down here. I uh, just hadn't seen it before, but it was that was literally the reason. It's just that it, you know, it has a nice color, which obviously fades. You just need to replenish, you know, twice a year or, yeah. or whichever. But um, we have a lot of pine trees overall, so that's another thing. You just rake up and you put it in your beds, and that's it. <laughs> Abs- absolutely, it's great mulch. All okay, right, Ed. Cool. Good luck, and um, give us a call back when you decide what your uh, what your technique is going to be. All right, I will do that. Thank you, Mike. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will appear on Saturday and Sunday, January 25th and 26th at the Home and Garden Show at the Mohegan Sun Arena in Wilkesboro, PA. But don't go looking for all the details at the event section of our website just yet, because we'll be right back with more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute TV and Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in the Christmas city of Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Rodale Institute. Since 1947, the Rodale Institute has been growing the organic movement through research, farmer training, and consumer education. Learn more about local events, workshops, and tours at rodaleinstitute.org. The Rodale Institute, because the future is organic. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden. From the studios of Rodale Institute Television and Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in the overly Christmas city this time of year of Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, we got a multi-pronged potpourri of questions for you in the question of the week. And we're also going to slyly slip in gift suggestions as we answer the seasonally appropriate questions. That's more than I normally do. So let's hop to your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Kristen, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. How are you today? I'm just ducky, thanks for asking. Chris, how are you? I'm doing great, thanks. And I will warn you, I have a five-month-old future gardener in the background. So if you hear some jingling, it's just him with his toys. I thought it was the sound of Christmas to come. It may be. It may be. And, you know, five months old, even Santa doesn't know if he's naughty or nice. Mm, He's still on the the questionable list. Yeah. Okay, so where are you, Chris? Chattanooga, Tennessee. Right, where everybody will then say choo-choo, right? Chattanooga choo-choo. We love the train. Okay, and there is a Chattanooga choo-choo? There is. If you go to the historic Chattanooga Choo Choo Hotel, they keep a, um, a locomotive engine in the back that kids can play on. And then they also have converted train cars that you can stay in if you're interested. Oh, very cool. All right. What can we do for you today, Chris? I am interested in replacing some bushes in the front of my house. Um, I have uh, a few. I, I don't know what they were, but they, they were beautiful. They changed colors, um, and they, they sort of gave up the ghost over the last two years just due to um, being inundated with rain. Uh, one of them, unfortunately, just snapped off, and then the other one 
pulled its roots out of the ground and tried to run away. <laughs> yeah. Uh, God, it's what my hydrangeas tried to do. So you got the torrential rains as well. It was something else. Um, biblical proportions, to be sure. Absolutely. <laughs> I love blueberry bushes because they do have vibrant colors and there's something delightful for the eyes four seasons out of the year. Mm-hmm. Not that Tennessee has, you know, four seasons, but <laughs> I still like the bushes. And um, I was wondering if my my new growing zone, because I'm still adjusting to being in 7A or B or whatever Chattanooga is, um, I'm not sure if blueberries would, would flourish there. Um, oh, in addition to being... In a different growing zone. I'm also in the heat sink. I'm very close to, to the downtown area. I'm just okay. across the river. Well, certainly that makes you an eight. Oh, okay. As you seem to know, blueberries are one of these plants that has a chilling requirement. They need a certain number of chilling hours every winter. Uh, but one big misunderstanding there is people think when I say that I'm talking about freezing. It's really, uh, depending on the plant and the circumstances, it's really nights that drop under 45. So that's not, that's not too hard to achieve. Um, okay. Blueberries are originally a northern crop. They're a native North American crop. Uh, they begin with uh, very small berries that uh, appeared on a ground cover up in the really far north. And these are difficult to pick because they're low to the ground and they're tiny, but they are flavor bombs. They are very rich with flavor. Now, those original low bush ground cover berries were eventually bred into the high bush blueberries that most people are familiar with that have bigger berries and can grow. Well, the ones at my friend's farm are probably at least six feet tall now and very full. So because you're in an area with fewer hours of chill, you want rabbit eye blueberries. Rabbit eyes are tall bush blueberries that were bred for the South. They were bred to have the lowest chilling requirement and they will do better for you. So this is a case where you really want to try and buy your uh, bushes locally and look for the term rabbit eye or other, uh, I I think I've also heard of uh, a similar variety simply called the southern blueberry, Um, but rabbit eyes were the first to be bred for your climate and they should do very well there. Uh, Again, as you probably know, one of the secrets to keeping them happy is to keep their soil almost impossibly acidic. Now, with all the rain that you and I have had, our soils tend to be naturally acidic, but that's not enough for blueberries. When you plant them, this is one of the few exceptions to my rule not to put anything nice in the planting hole. When you plant them, I would mix at least half peat moss in with the native soil you return. And then every year I would mulch them with an inch of peat moss covered by an inch of compost. And if you ever see the leaves starting to turn yellow, um, then you may want to reapply more peat moss or move up to sulfur. Um, Either one will acidify the soil. Uh, Blueberries are great. Yes, you'll be able to grow them. Make sure their soil stays nice and acidic and make sure you choose varieties 
uh, that were bred for your warm growing zone. Wonderful. Thanks, Mike. That's uh, phenomenal information. Um, about how high do the, the rabbit eyes grow? I know you mentioned they were a tall bush variety. Well, the ones at my friend's farm must be 35 years old. You know, it depends on what size you buy. I mean, the more you spend on the individual plants, the older they'll be and the taller they'll get more quickly. Um, I would say rabbit eyes are generally going to top out at four to five feet, uh, but that's over a period of years. And if that's like not what you want out front, even though blueberries do not need to be pruned, you can prune them. In the late spring, just as they're putting on new growth, you always should cut off any damaged or dead branches. But you can also prune them for size and shape. So they're, they're very easy to care for plants. Perfect. Yeah, four to five feet would be great. Um, I'm hoping to put them out in front to kind of cover the bare part of the, the porch. Would it be a problem that they would probably be within four to five feet of the porch? Would no. that cause issues no. with airflow? Uh, okay. Well, no, as long as they get enough sun. They are sun-loving plants. It's the south side of the house. Oh, okay. So what J.I. Rodale, back in the early days of organic gardening, advocated is he liked to plant high bush blueberries to make a hedge um, so that the hedge not only would cover those um, areas you don't want to see outside of winter, uh, but you would get good eating from the hedge. And in the fall, you know the fall color, the reds of the blueberry leaves before they fall off are magnificent. Well, that sounds gorgeous. Maybe if I get tired of my neighbors, I'll put it in as a hedge, too. Yep, absolutely. All right. Well, you, <laughs> you take care of that. Good care of that baby we hear. That'll, uh, that child, as it grows, will eat as many blueberries as you can give them. Absolutely. I'm going to send him out with a bucket and just have him crawl into the bush. That's right. And I guarantee the bucket <laughs> will come back empty and he'll be stained blue. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, thanks so much, Mike. My pleasure, Chris. Good luck. That number to call, which you really can call any time of the day or night, is 833-727-9588. Chris, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, Chris. Where are you, man? I'm in Ocean View, Delaware. Oh, okay. We uh, Did you call in on a previous show? or I, I did, and you gave me great advice on propagating my lavender, which was very successful. Excellent. Well, well, remember, Chris, even a broken watch is right twice a day. So, uh, all right, what can we do for Chris with a view of the ocean in Delaware? Thanks, Mike. I was looking, I was listening to your broadcast last week, and a gentleman called in and mentioned that he was composting and that he was uh, shredding his leaves. He was turning his piles once a week and that the compost was becoming ready in around the August time frame. Mm -hmm. And I believe at the same time you said, yeah, that's about my, when my compost piles are ready. But what got interesting is the man mentioned that he would then add the compost to his, his beds. And I've always thought that you mentioned that when you have a raised bed, you put one to two inches of compost on the beds, but August seems to be the end of the growing season, not at the, not at the beginning of the, of the growing season. So what's the right time? Well, um, it is. it can be a dicey situation. The dirty little secret of home composting is that typically the leaves you collect and shred in October, November, and December 
do not break down as readily over winter as they would if they were collected somehow in the spring. But they do break down, but typically instead of being ready the following spring, uh, they're ready the following summer, uh, uh, typically July or August, something like that. Now the advice is to add two inches of compost, two inches of fresh compost to your raised beds yearly. So if you want to take that advice literally, um, you don't wow. have to add it in the spring. You add it as it's ready. And I would also remind everybody out there that even though your compost may look unfinished on the top and sides, move that material away with a rake or a broom and you'll find a big pile of finished compost on the bottom that you can spread as early as May or June. Um, but for most of us who either don't want to do a lot of work or we have a hard time doing the work now, we buy for a new garden, brand new garden. The first year you buy your compost, that fall you build your compost piles, and the next year you should have enough bulk compost left to do your beds again. But then every spring after that, you should have really most sincerely finished compost from the first pile you started. And after that, you're just in the rhythm where every year, especially because of the extra months that that compost is getting, you should be able to have enough to do in the spring. Now, I will add that if you want to make compost fast, and we know you can do this. This was a very popular topic in Organic Gardening Machine. Machine? <laughs> organic Gardening <laughs> Magazine. Um, what we would do is urge you to double shred your leaves. Make the particle size as small as possible. Get lots of coffee grounds, like from Starbucks or the local coffee shop, and mix those in as you go. Do not layer your ingredients. That's foolish. Whoever invented this science of layering compost failed physics 01 because you don't incite a reaction by keeping the ingredients separate. You get a good reaction by mixing them close together. So you got these um, coffee grounds mixed in with your finely shredded leaves and this is a compost pile that will steam in the early mornings. I, I would often like to go out and warm my hands over top of it before I'd get to work. So already you're moving faster. Now, while the weather is still decent in the fall, um, and you're in a, a kind of a protected area, your climate is always going to be milder. It's not going to get quite as warm, but it's also not going to get quite, quite as cold because you're right off the ocean. So once a week, once every week, you get out there with a pitchfork or a garden fork, and you, quote, turn the pile, which simply means you get all the stuff on the outside, put it on the ground, and then you put the stuff that was on the ground on top of that. And that will help your compost create faster. Now, if you want to be guaranteed of having finished compost in the spring, you go a little further. You get some welded wire animal fencing. And for this, you can even use chicken wire. And you roll it into a tube about the circumference of your leg. You drive a stake into the ground, you put the tube over the stake, and then you assemble your compost raw ingredients around that tube. 
again, mixing finely shredded leaves with lots of coffee grounds. And you will see the heat waves coming out of the top of that uh, compost chimney the next morning. You can literally go out and really warm your hands. One time I was foolish, I left my gloves outside overnight. I put them on top of my chimney to warm them up. So, and if you do this, that makes turning kind of inconvenient. So if you just make sure to keep that compost chimney clean down to the bottom, it's gonna suck air to every part of the pile. And now you don't have to do the turning. Although when we get to early spring, I would recommend that you um, take that tube out of the center, uh, take away any fencing that was holding the pile in place and turn it once. And you will find when you get to the bottom, guaranteed there's gonna be several wheelbarrow loads of finished compost down there. And then because you turned the remaining material, it's going to finish composting very quickly. So when I say, yeah, July or August is, is really a reasonable expectation, that's for no to little work composting. Uh, the more you do to ensure a lot of nitrogen in the pile and keep out things like kitchen scraps that slow it down and really draw air to the center of the pile, you can make compost over the winter, no problem. Excellent. What, I have one more question, if you don't mind. Go ahead. What, what, what are your thoughts about uh, screening the compost before applying it? Oh, my goodness. It's one of the best things you can do. Now, for those okay. who don't know what we're talking about, uh, you, can, you could buy compost screens back in the day, back in the 70s, and they might be available now that you would search the words compost screens. But you can make your own. You go to the hardware store and you buy a material called hardware cloth which is kind of a cross between fencing and window screening. Um, um, hardware cloth is made of very hard metal and it has different size openings. Uh, there's different gauges, so to speak. So what you would do is you would make a wooden frame with your biggest compost screener um, in between the two pieces of wood. This would be the ones with the biggest openings and you would put this over a wheelbarrow and you would take your finished compost and you would work it around the top of the screening till it all went through. If you get to something that won't go through, you toss it back in the pile. So after you're done, you, you now have screened compost. If you love doing this kind of stuff and you wanna invest the time, then you move on to a screen with smaller openings and you take your once screen compost, and now you push it through the smaller openings, rubbing it along, kind of getting the compost to, to go through easily. And then you would have finely screened compost. If you have the time, you have the energy, you have the know-how, this is top of the line stuff. Excellent, thank you so much. All right, Chris, we love talking about compost. Compost are us. <laughs> Well, it looks like it's time for me to take another little break and announce that I will brave the month of January to appear in tropical Wilkes-Barre, PA on Saturday and Sunday, January 25th and 26th at the Home and Garden Show at the Mohegan Sun Arena. 
But don't go looking for all the details at the event section of our website just yet, because we'll be right back to slyly suggest holiday gifts as we answer a potpourri of your seasonal questions and take more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute TV and Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in the Christmas City of Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in the overly Christmas city of Bethlehem, PA. It really is this time of year. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we will be getting to the question of the week, which is about 18 questions of the week answering seasonal problems, and making gift suggestions all at the same time. It's a lot to get done, so we better hop right back to the phones at 833-727-9588. Melissa, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks, Mike. Uh, Thank you, Melissa. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I am just ducky, thanks for asking. Where is Melissa doing well? I'm from Media, Pennsylvania. Just outside of Philadelphia. Correct. A great Trader Joe's grocery store in Media. Yes, they do. Yeah, I love those places. All right, what can we do for you, Melissa? Well, I have a, a, a wisteria vine, and I got it at a garden center. Oh, gosh, it had to be over 10 years ago. Um, planted it, put some mulch around it, and it grew crazy on my stockade fence. Oh, yeah. But... It has never, ever bloomed. So is the stockade fence still there? Yes. Okay, are you sure? When's the last time you saw it? <laughs> well, this time of the year I can see it, but in, during the summer and the spring it's, it's covered. Yeah, wisteria is famous for dislodging structures from the earth. It's so a, the fence is still pretty good. Okay, so there's two kinds of wisteria. There's the kind I have, which is absolutely useless. It's wild wisteria. It does not flower, um, oh. but it grows vines that are ropes, and they reach up into the trees and try to pull the trees down to ground level. I guess they're hoping to kill the tree and eventually get fed by its rotten trunk. And then there's their ornamental wisteria, and because you got it at a garden center, we have to presume that it is a flowering type. Um, sometimes these things just flower profusely if the person didn't expect it or if they had moved. You see your most magnificent wisteria and lilacs at abandoned farmhouses. So that kind of tells you something right away. They don't, they don't like to please people. 
Um, you say you mulched it. What What is it mulched with? Well, we just had a, it was more of a compost when we first put it in, but we haven't done anything really to it um, since then. Okay. Do you do any pruning of it? Yes. When do you prune it? Uh, we've been pruning it in the fall. Okay. Why? Um, because it's just grown so much. And when and when does wisteria typically flower, Melissa? I'm thinking the spring. Right. And does it grow those buds over the winter time? No. It grows them over the summertime. And so, uh, what does fall pruning do? Oh no! I've been cutting off all of the the buds. Ding ding ding! Oh no! <laughs> That's all right. You know, if it if it wasn't for people like you, I would have had to find honest work years ago. This is it's a it's a mitzvah to me, Melissa. So um, there. Well, it, the good thing is we haven't pruned it. This we didn't prune it this fall. Okay, good, good. Um, now I don't know how to say this gently, but uh, well, first of all, I want you to go uh, to our website. Go to youbetyourgarden.org. And click on the link that says answers to all your garden questions and go down to Wisteria. And okay. you will you you will find stories from people who force their wisteria into flowering um, with 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 tactics that if it were done on a human would not be allowed on the radio. They <laughs> have whipped it with chains down where it comes out of the ground. Sometimes they have cut notches out of the trunk. Sometimes they have attacked the base of the plant, um, cut chopping off roots and in the spring. Um, and not, well, I guess in some cases, if, if you've got a giant vine that hasn't flowered for you in 10 years, some of this would be anger. And in this case, the anger can have an excellent outcome because it stimulates the plant it kind of stresses the plant. It makes the plant, you know, want to flower now because somebody's trying to kill it. And the way to survive is to produce flowers with viable seeds. So okay. when spring arrives, presuming there are flower buds on it, um, if you or someone in your household would like to go out there with a metal chain and give it a whooping, um, you would not, I know, I know, crazy, crazy. <laughs> Um, but I'm not making this up. This is pure okay. science. It's actually cowboy gardening at its finest. Um, okay. So give it a good whooping in the spring. Get out there and, you know, vent. You, you must be angry at something going on in the nation or your neighborhood or, or your family. Feel free to call out a name. You know, this, you <laughs> this can be therapy. So I have to stress it. Stress yes. And does it get good sun, too? Yes, it gets a good late afternoon sun. Yeah, that's not the best for flowering plants. Is there any way to increase the amount of morning sun? No, because there's a very tall oak tree that's mm. near it. So it may not be the best place for that. Wisteria is very easy to uh, propagate. You could cut off some shoots in the spring, stick them where you want them. Is there another place where they'd get more sun? Yes. Yes, out, out in the front yard, I believe, it would be 
be a better spot. Yeah, just remember it's going to need a lot of support. Um, okay. And do you feed it anything? No. Good, good, good. Well, if um, you didn't prune it in the fall and you give it a good couple of whackings in the spring and you get a couple of flowers, then lean into the whacking. Okay? You can whack okay. it all summer long. It's a plant that's difficult to kill. And, okay. and again, there's always new frustrations and anger in our life. Here's, here's anger management that works for both sides. Um, Perfect. If you don't get any flowers at all, I'd start a transplanting uh, program to, okay. to give it more sun. Okay, very good. All right, good luck, Melissa. Thank you, Mike. Send us video of you beating your vine. <laughs> okay, I will. Okay. As promised, it's time for a very unusual question of the week. A potpourri of pithy problems promptly resolved. And by the way, I will give a shout out to anybody who can send me a word that begins with P that means answer. My thesaurus let me down. Hey, what's another word for thesaurus? Dave in Rocky Point, New York writes, after becoming a big fan of your show over the last nine months, I decided to try my hand at planting garlic. I planted the cloves in early October, and they've gone gangbusters, a good six to eight inches of green above ground already. My question is, now what? Do I cut those greens, let them go until they presumably die in the cold weather, bend them over to the ground? I plan to put a mulch of shredded leaves over the bed, but I'm not sure what to do with this greenery. Well, congratulations, Dave. Garlic planted in the fall may or may not sprout that year, depending on a variety of factors, but early sprouting should lead to larger heads at harvest time. So absolutely mulch them with those shredded leaves, but don't cut or otherwise molest your greens. Your next chore is way off and that's when you'll cut off the scapes, little bulges, that appear at the top of each stalk in late spring. This will allow the plants to devote more energy to growing bigger bulbs. Then read a couple of the garlic articles at our archives of questions of the week, and they'll help you time your harvest. We move on to Tom in Portland, Oregon, who writes, I started composting shredded leaves in a plastic compost bin. I decided to add coffee grounds from home, the office, and the local Starbucks to heat it up. Then I decided to Google it and saw your articles recommending this very thing. Anyway, I decided to skip kitchen scraps as a precaution against rodents. My question, how much coffee to how much shredded leaves, which are very well shredded, 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 they're all cut up thanks to my handy-dandy leaf mulcher. Excellent, Tom. Real men always read the directions after the job is done. Now, I presume you have one of those black composters made of recycled plastic. I have several, and they all work great. Now, if you have the rectangular style, I'll ballpark that you should add a five-gallon bucket of wet grounds mixed in well with a bin full of shredded leaves. If you have the larger round style, you can use twice that amount. But don't worry, you have lots of wiggle room here. Oh, 
And thanks for making two great holiday gift suggestions for gardeners. Everybody can use an attractive sealed compost bin or five, and the rectangular ones ship flat in a box that can go under a tree. Hint, hint. And everybody can also use a handheld leaf mulcher, aka a blower vac. I especially like the newer rechargeable models. No gasoline to spill and no cord to trip over. Debbie in Haywood, Maryland, which is 20 miles south of Annapolis, writes, When and how would you recommend getting rid of a hornet's nest in our tree? We noticed it in August. Help! Well, no worries, Deb. Unlike dangerous and aggressive yellow jackets that build large nests underground, aerial hornets never bother people unless those people do an Elmer Fudd and try and knock the nest down with a broom in the middle of summer. And neither yellow jackets nor aerial hornets will reuse their nests. The queen abandoned your nest earlier this season and will give birth to workers who will build a new nest next spring, by which time the workers in your nest will have frozen to death over the winter. Bonus. Your email signature indicates that you work at the Anne Arundel Middle School. One of the science or math teachers there would love to have that nest in the spring so they can cut it open and show the students the intricate structure inside. We close with Michael in Chester County, PA, who writes, the lemon tree in my basement just bloomed. It must have turned off its GPS because it's in Pennsylvania. It's in a pot, and it's under six T5 fluorescent bulbs. I got it for Father's Day last year with a key lime. It survived last winter in the basement, but the key lime did not. Well, you really had me scratching my head about T5 bulbs, Michael, but a little research revealed what seems to be a great alternative to regular fluorescent shop lights. T5s are two-foot-long fluorescent tubes whose spectrum is specially designed for extra brightness and growing plants indoors. They typically come in fixtures of two to four bulbs each and are highly recommended for seed starting and indoor microgreen growing, a perfect holiday gift for people who can't garden outdoors or who just want to grow edibles all season long in the north. As to your lemon tree, why is the poor thing down in the basement? Unless that basement is finished, heated, and well used, you're missing out on the amazing aroma of those flowers. And you seem to be treating your lemon like a summertime plant, which it is not. Citrus are tropical plants that don't ever go dormant, and they often bloom and set fruit in the late fall and winter because their GPS is set for San Diego, not Pennsylvania. Simply put, this is a great chance for you to get a lot of lemons. But to do so, you're going to have to make sure the daytime temperatures stay around 70 degrees with nighttime temperatures around 60 degrees. The tree should be kept well watered, and it should be fed every other week with a gentle, liquid, organic fertilizer.
Well, those sure were potpourri of questions answered and gifts suggested, now wasn't they? Luckily for you, you can read the info over at your leisure or your leisure, because the Question of the Week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the Question of the Week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden Question of the Week, and you will always find the latest Question of the Week and lots of old ones at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to take down my shiny aluminum Christmas tree if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse teaming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please include your location. You'll find all of this contact information, plus answers to your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows, and links to our internationally renowned podcast. It's all at youbetyourgarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show, and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Television and Radio in association with WLVT and WLVR, Lehigh Valley Public Media in the Christmas city of Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when he was bitten by a radioactive spider at a science fair. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airwaves is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Northfleet. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Tavia Minnick. Our new website wonder is the lovely Nicole Harrell. Our audio editor is the also lovely Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is judicious Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director is Javier Diaz. Eric Werner is running the camera this week. Zach the Takwisneski is, I think he's around here someplace. Our beloved and beleaguered CEO, Tim Fallon, who is not our executive producer, is so late for a meeting that we're putting his picture on soy milk cartons. I'm your ho-ho-ho host, Mike McGrath, reminding you to keep your poinsettias inside, to pot up your Christmas tree-shaped rosemary plants into bigger containers, to keep your tree well watered, and bake some extra cookies for me. Chocolate chip, please, and only dark chocolate chips. Thank you. I'll sit by the fire and listen to Frank Sinatra's Christmas album next week and then be back to see you again in the new year. Hey, boy, where's the ball? Where's the ball? Ready? Go get it, boy. That's a good boy. Drop it. Drop it. Good boy. Good boy. Loyal partners. Throughout life, you have many different partners. 
shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life? Your health. Lehigh Valley Health Network. Your health deserves a partner. Learn more at lvhn.org.